From the National Pharmaceutical Congress, this is the NPC podcast for March 10, 2021. Each week, we're all about discussing and considering the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the age of COVID. Today, let's continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions from listeners like you. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez. Imprez's best-in-class commercial solutions offer top-line and bottom-line growth with maximum sales force flexibility, speed, and efficiency. Learn more about their next-generation commercial model at www.imprez.com. On today's podcast our guest is Paul Petrelli, the General Manager of Jazz Pharmaceuticals. The program moderator is Peter Brenders, CEO of the New Brunswick Health Research Foundation. First up, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Thanks, Leona. Jazz Pharmaceuticals, formed just 18 years ago, is known for Xyram, a blockbuster CNS drug that accounts for three-quarters of the company's sales. The company made headlines last month by announcing it will pay $7.2 billion U.S. dollars to acquire GW Pharma, which makes CBD-based drugs. So, in the words of Bing Crosby, Now you have jazz, 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 jazz. The general manager of jazz in Canada is Paul Petrelli, a good friend of the National Pharmaceutical Congress. Now you has Paul in conversation with Peter. Welcome to the NPC Podcast. I'm Peter Brenders, your host. In the continuing look at the purpose, process, and people of pharma in Canada, this episode explores the questions of general managers. Or as it was once phrased in Forbes, the executive challenge no one talks about. The woe is you, GM. You're given the overwhelming responsibility and pressure to appear calm to employees, to consistently deliver results, and be where the proverbial buck stops. And you get to do this in a pandemic and a rapidly changing business. But let's stop your worry there. Today's NPC podcast is the therapy session to end the isolation and talk about these vexations. We have an exciting guest today to take on the challenges. Many of you know him from NPC webinars and previous congresses, Mr. Paul Petrelli, General Manager, Jazz Pharmaceuticals Canada. Welcome, Paul. Peter, thank you. That was a, a great warm-up. Actually, can you, next time I have my year-end review, talk to my boss about all that stuff that I'm supposed to be doing? Because apparently it's not landing. <laughs> As we said at the beginning, woe is you, GM. Okay, yeah. so let's jump right in and start with the taboo subjects. And frankly, it was an unanswered question from the NPC Winter Webinar. So, Paul, where are the lunches? Where are the coffees? Can we send food so someone can talk to us on a Zoom call? Yeah, you know what, Peter, that's a that's a great question. And I'm frankly, I'm surprised it has come up given the environment that we're in. But look, not to skirt the question, I think it it breeds to a bigger one, which is how do we create value? Because I'll be honest with you, like when you think about the day and age of when we created these opportunities for meals and lunches and coffees and all that stuff, look, rules and regs, we're allowed to do it. Right? I think in their proper business practices, it happens. But really, you got to question yourself in terms of why we're doing it and how are we creating value? And then also, are we propagating a past myth that we just really got to shake? So you mean we're not Uber Eats? Unfortunately, last I remember, no. So if you think about it, so it's a widespread practice and it's out there. But does that mean we've created entitlement? with the customer, with our own staff? 
Yeah, you know what? When you think through it, it could be entitlement. It could be habit. Um, it could be just basically assumptions and it could be confidence. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's it. Have we created this expectation of our customers to say, look, if you're going to give it, I'm going to take it habit on both sides, right? Our customers might be going, look, in order for you to see me or whichever, I'm expecting it. And then frankly, even on our side, is it habitual to say no different than what we've done in the past is to say, look, I've got to do this. And I'll be honest, the bigger part is, is the confidence. What if we said no? Especially in this environment, what if we said, yeah, you know what? No, we're going to talk because, again, where's the real value being created? Is it the Uber Eats lunch and great, fantastic food that's being created or actually the information and data that we can communicate? Okay. So, but I guess another way I could challenge that back is, so what if we don't say no? I mean, how much of our reputation are we driving? That's the issue though. Right. Is really, if we think about reputation management, I, the one thing I think COVID has basically taught us and showed us is our ability to evolve. And really, where's the nice, happy place that we always gravitate to? And can we really change? If you think about it from our customers' point of view, they're changing. Right? Our customers have changed. Right? Who the decision makers are have changed. I think when we think about data, right? And again, there's numerous sources of information out there basically saying that data is at your fingertips now. Think about the pharma industry originally the sales rep role and i'm not picking on that role but the sales rep role was designed as a detailer to go in at a time when there wasn't computers wasn't internet and basically help inform physicians of new launches prescribing information etc well that information's at everyone's fingertips right now yet we still remain doing the same things consistently over and over again and then on top of that, it's how are we communicating different devices and different activities? Look, I think websites, I'm all for them and all that stuff. But really, again, what are we driving as a reputation? I, honestly, I think it's our inability to change. That's a great point on that one. So, all right, so we need change, right? And let's look ahead there. So we're early in the, in the fiscal year for, for most companies and GMs are probably already back there rethinking the year. They're looking at their gameplay. They're trying to figure out in terms of what the plan is, maybe even updating projections. So how long do you wait until you make that change? So I'll be honest with you. If you're still making that decision right now, you're late. Look, you can give it to everybody to say back this time last year, weirdly enough, world has changed. Right? And I think at that time, it was, okay, watching and waiting was probably a bit of the prudent thing to do. We're a year later now. And if you're somewhat thinking that we're going to go back to the old way, I, I think you've missed the bus. Again, you can read McKinsey reports, IQB reports, all these different reports basically stating where our customers are, how they like the current form, um, uh, process, they like the current format, they like getting information where they are. All those things beg us to sort of change and think differently about what we need to do. So I, I think change has to happen now. Now, whether it's a question of whether we evolve or revolutionize depends on your risk tolerance. You're listening to Paul Petrelli, General Manager, Jazz Pharmaceuticals Canada on the NBC podcast. And that's the question, right? Change is risky. So what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong, Paul? Well, and that's, you know what, that's where I think the, our biggest challenge and our biggest anchor has always been is we constantly think about what if you're wrong. And I don't know, maybe it's time we turn this around and say, what if we're right? What if we do something and there's actually upside to this? And also, I think it's how do we manage change and how do we manage risk? You don't have to eat the elephant all at once. Where are areas in our business where we can make small incremental changes to sort of move that needle forward? I think if you think about 
COVID. And, and honestly, the one or three things that COVID's taught me over this time, right? One is, is again, it shows that as an industry, we need to change. Two, I think when you think through it is, look, there's resiliency in our industry, right? With all things going on and you compare ourselves to other industries, right? We still weathered this pretty well. And in fact, I think depending on what data source you look at, the industry in Canada is still going to grow call it anywhere between three to 5% year on year. So we're in a pretty good place that way as well. I think the third part as well, when we think about what it's taught us is we can be nimble and we can change. We've made some small increments once, right? Think about how late we were to the party on social media way back two, three years ago, right? With always one of those, oh, you can't be there. What if, what if that happens, et cetera. COVID happened, we very quickly went and relied on social media to be able to communicate. Now, interestingly, Again, we've put ourselves in the situation to say we're currently using the, the model we have and all we've really done is just put a computer in between it, right? It's still about reach and frequency and we just use a computer as an interface. I think, again, we need to change what that model looks like. So it's funny you say think again because it reminds me of uh, Adam Grant's new book I read last week called Think Again. In the opening, it said, when it comes to our possessions, we update with fervor. We refresh our wardrobes when they fall out of style and renovate our kitchens when they're no longer in vogue. When it comes to our knowledge and our opinions, though, we tend to stick to our guns. And so when I read that, I thought it's like, I suppose the same thing could be said about our business model. We stick to what we've done. It's proven. It works. Is how do we get that think again philosophy into our industry? That's a great question. And I think it's a tough one too. Again, not to look like I'm trying to beat up an industry I've obviously known and love and, and spent a lot of time in. But all too often when you have these conversations, the first things that come up is there's suddenly resistance around whether it's legal compliance or whichever, right? Honestly, I think we have to challenge ourselves to say, okay, there's other examples of highly regulated industries, the liquor industry, the banking industry, that even over the past little while have changed, right? Now, you might not remember this because you're young, spry individual in Canada, but hold on a second I, here. I just want to make sure that the audience heard that young and spry. But I look, I remember back in the day going to the liquor store with my dad. You actually physically had to hand somebody a slip of paper. They went into the back, grabbed a bottle of whatever you had and come back, right? It evolved to you can go into a store and pull it off of a shelf. Well, now they're delivering it, right? Here's a highly regulated, we're worried about abuse and they're going to be delivering it. Right? Banking industry, there's a Japanese bank I read about the other day that is no longer going to open up branches. It's all online. So I think these other highly regulated areas are doing it. Now, again, they're not doing it and jumping into the water full step, but I think there's opportunities for us to really start looking at and breaking down where are the areas of change and where are the areas that we need to keep hold. It's interesting you say that because it's, it's something also that Grant echoes in his book when he talks about, you know, we're, we're inclined to listen to the views that make us feel good instead of the ideas that make us think hard. And so same way, you've always done it. There's comfort, there's security in that. And what I'm hearing you as, as GM, sometimes you need to challenge that. So let's take it to your specific situation. So I know Jazz, you're, you're about to launch a number of products this year and as you think about sort of your approach in terms of bringing that forward, like how do you sort of change the game plan that you've always done? So first off, thanks a lot for the recommendation of the book. I just started to read it. I passed the, hey, I could read the first page without making a mistake on five words. So it's, it's appropriate for me to be able to read, but it's a fantastic book to start with. Highly recommend it. 
But to go into your question, look, it is a challenge, right? I think, again, changing a very, very large ship's direction is going to take small steps. But I think where it starts, even where we are in terms of being able to launch three products in new therapeutic areas, I think what's even more exciting about me in terms of creating change is we're going to be doubling the size of the organization. In doing that, we get to look at who we're recruiting, how we're recruiting, right? What's the structure going to look like? What are some of the skill sets that we want to bring in that we never had in the past? Are there roles that we want to take a risk on and bringing outside of our industry? What if you brought a commercial and packaged goods person in as a marketer versus the same old, same old that we know and love? I think there's other opportunities internally as well. We're having some fun this year, actually, with our annual objective setting. And I've actually asked everyone in my organization to put in a BHAG. Uh, as you all know, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Color outside the line. So think about one thing that you want to accomplish this year that's just out there. It's got to be realistic. It's got to be related to your brand, your role, your function. But get out there. And with the guarantee that, look, it's not going to impact you at the end of the year. You don't accomplish it. doesn't mean you're going to get it. does not mean. You do accomplish it. You'd be surprised what the success looks like. So I think there's two sides to it. There's the structural side and there's the emotional side, I think, as well, that we got to bring into the mix to help facilitate change. You're listening to the NBC podcast. So that emotional side, though, so I think there's a big piece on that when it comes down to, I mean, it's going to take a certain type of person that has that ability, that confidence to be able to accept that change, right? That confident humility, if you will. I mean, you don't want that arrogance, confidence, you want that confident humility to be able to accept change and, and have that one. So how are you building or how should a company build that within their organization? Yeah, it's and a big part of it starts with the culture of the organization, to be honest with you. I think we're all really good at skills and all that. It's just really bringing in the fabric and what you want to create. There is um, actually timely, I, I read this sort of little short story. It's from a New York University psychologist called Jonathan Haidt probably getting his last name wrong. I apologize if I am. And he brings up this story of the elephant and the rider, where the elephant is emotion, the riders being rational thinking, and obviously the pathway or road is the environment around them. And if you think about it, right, trying to move emotion with rational thought is difficult. Concept of trying to push elephants on your own, you're just never going to do it. The goal here is to obviously give the right direction that helps engage the rational thought but really get into the core of creating what the vision and value looks like in the future. It really challenges that emotional thinking, which actually helps stimulate forward movement. And then obviously with the road is you want to empower and remove any barriers to success. So some specific examples in terms of engaging on the emotional side. Look, I think one thing is, is you can talking about small victories, reminding themselves in terms of reminding people of the successes that they have, how they lead to the greater good. I think a big part that we also need to look at as well is ways in which we can avoid punishing failure rather than looking at failure as an opportunity to learn. I know it's easier to say, harder to do, but it really is something that creating that idea of, you know what, go out and make a mistake. We'll learn from it. And I'll be honest, there's very few things that are going to happen in our industry, going back to what I said before about the resiliency of it, that's really, really going to screw things up right? Outside of putting me back into jail, which honestly, I got to say, I can't do jail time again. (laughs) So that's the message to tune into the next podcast on (laughs) Paul and his time at the county lockup. But so, okay, so let's take these lessons. And um, all right, so 
here's your magic world here, Paul. If you were to set up from scratch again, uh, if we were to rebuild this industry, as we think about sort of that, bringing that value to the sector, what does that look like? So that's the question of the ages, right? I know one of the one of the questions that I always ask is, is look, if you're going to set up the pharmaceutical industry on Mars, would you do that again, right? And I part of that, look, I don't profess to be an expert in this or, or organizational design and all these other bits and pieces to it. But I think there's a couple of questions that I would say we need to think about and ask, right? I think we need to look at who the customer is. It has evolved, it's changed, there's new customers. How do we create partnership? I think we do need to look at how do you bring value into what that looks like as well and where we can add value, right? Again, going back to the time of, at a time and age where there was little data, there was a role that served. Now I think moving forward into where it is, I think we need to evolve around that. I think we need to look at roles, right? Roles that potentially could look at how do we navigate through the healthcare system? Is there value created through that? I think looking at really specifically and always careful about saying this because I weird out all the salespeople that I know is what about a hybrid role, right? Use the analogy of med devices where you have people that not only sell product, help negotiate pricing on it, but are actually in surgery showing physicians how to use it, right? Do we really need MSLs as well as sales reps in new roles, especially in the rare disease space where there's not a lot of competitors? Maybe the true value is coming in and actually helping them navigate systems, being able to work through the hospital environment so that they can increase productivity. And then there I say, and this is a big jump, is maybe there's some opportunity now to patient-facing roles too and creating opportunities there where we can create greater value. Because again, think about the complexity that's out there and also the rare nature of a lot of these diseases. Where true value could be is helping us navigate patients through so that they get the best care possible. A bit of a panacea, a bit of way out there thinking. And again, I'm not an expert on how do you get there, but I think it's stuff we need to think about. And so ends today's therapy session. You've been listening to Paul Petrelli, General Manager of Jazz Pharmaceuticals Canada on the NBC podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to Paul and Peter. Just to clarify, when Paul referred to his stay in the Martin Shkreli wing at the county lockup, he was just kidding. I know because I never saw him once in the chow line or in the prison library. But who needs libraries when you've got the NPC podcast here every Wednesday? Past episodes are always available on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts also at pharmacongress.info. Hey listeners, if you want to compare experiences or ask some questions, you can direct message us on Twitter at 2021NPC or just send us an email at health at chronicle.org. Don't forget our comment line at 647-873-6995. It's open 24-7. The winter series of the NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Find out more at www.imprez.com. In Toronto, this is Mitch Shannon of Chronicle Companies. This episode was produced by Jeremy Visser. Your announcer is Leona Droidhalter. The musical theme is performed in our studio by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestra Clotilda Milbrook. Have a good week and stay safe. We'll talk to you again next Wednesday.